0: One of the topics that was recently suggested, and the one which I most believe can be turned into a full-length episode, was everyday life. And so in this episode, I want to focus on the world as it evolved in the wake of the raising. So how did everyday life evolve for the average citizen post-raising? Let's just say for the sake of argument that you lived in a rural area in Germany when the raising hit, and you were fortunate enough, or perhaps unfortunate enough to be 16, more than old enough to understand what was happening. Your town was quite reliant on cattle farming pre-raising. There were other jobs, but in a little town of just 300 people, the cattle farms nearby were pretty much the main industry within the same area. It's now been just six months, and in July, things are finally starting to fall into place. With the loss of most agricultural machinery, nearly everybody is at work on the farms. In the absence of more organized government, pretty much all policy is simply decided by a popular vote. The local rebuilding effort has just gotten underway, spurned on by the knowledge that winter is of course coming. Nearly everyone is actually armed. Most carry knives or batons, as guns are mostly reserved for the local militia. Also, ammunition's quite scarce, and wasting it on self-defense when you could be using it to hunt is not necessarily a bargain most people are willing to make. And people tend to be less worried about protecting themselves from each other than from the local wildlife. Feral dogs and cats have been driven out of the nearby cities, and a pack of dogs has taken residence in various dens across your city well your city is really more of a town isn't it they feed on refuse with no organized waste collection being dumped on the outskirts of the town they are occasionally hunted usually by some enterprising bowman who thinks that their meat will make good food during the winter if he dries it now the prospect that you might run out of food during winter seems unlikely to most as your food supply mostly revolves around evaporated milk now Why does it revolve so much around evaporated milk? Well, here's the thing. Post-raising, it's very hard to keep milk pure and uninfected. So if you're going to store it in any way, one of the best ways to do it is you just take the milk and you boil it. And keep boiling it. And boil it. And reduce it some more. And eventually, once you've boiled it long enough, you're left with basically just the solids and a little bit of and a little tiny bit of water left, right, so it's this very very goopy, sticky liquid um, and all in all evaporated milk, number one, you can then just jar it and then transport it because evaporated milk uh, will stay uh, pure longer than other milk will, especially if you jar it, then you can keep it for quite a bit longer than you can with normal milk because normal milk without refrigeration goes bad in just three hours so if you don't cool off your milk you're not going to be able to transport it anywhere and so what you're doing with this evaporated milk is actually you're mostly selling it to other areas because then you can get non-perishable food seeds and the like which will eventually help you build up your food reserves there's nearby brown draconic enclave which has switched to more old-fashioned methods of farming and your laborers are tend to be hired from there and usually are used in teams to replace draft animals Brown draconics, unlike most draconics, they stand shorter than the average human, usually reaching five foot four at the most. They are also weaker than the average draconic, but still definitely stronger than the average human, especially the children that now make up most of your town's population. Other trade conducted with the brown draconics has has procured several hundred bows, which are draconic small bows rather than draconic large bows, and a few thousand arrows to aid in hunting, defense. And such things. A medic from the Enclave was also retained. She is often met with strange looks, being that a brown draconic feels somewhat out of place in your small town of humans. But her knowledge of herbal medicine and where to find the proper herbs for said medicine and her ability to fly have saved several children, because after all, if the cure for your disease is an herb which only grows down in the Middle East, somebody who can fly at a couple hundred miles per hour is generally going to be someone that you'd want to go get it for you because then they might only have to be gone a few days rather than if you were to try and go procure it, you'd have quite the hard time being that the Middle East from Germany is thousands of miles away and you know maybe if you had access to a boat down in like Italy you could get there faster but I really don't think that most people do at this point. Now, the chief engineer of the Enclave has also created a public sanitation system for you as an act of goodwill. It was built on the Draken model, which generally just involves putting public toilets in every residential area and a bathhouse in the city. Both were supplied by the local river. This has, at the very least, stopped the dumping of waste directly into the streets, which everybody was afraid would cause some outbreak of cholera or something. Offers have been made to your town to join a local confederation, but your ability to produce and ship milk around would most likely just be nationalized, ending your ability to trade for resources and pretty much instantly plummeting you into poverty. You are instead preparing an argument for joining the confederation as somewhat of an associate. Rather than joining the confederation wholesale, you would prefer to maybe get some of the defensive benefits of being in a confederation in case somebody got... The idea to be aggressive but not having to deal with all of the you know business of prude, you know giving them tithes and whatnot to not tithe taxes on your food and the, this is a very valid fear this was a very common occurrence uh in the early stages of reunification across europe uh, an area which had access to a very important resource would then join with a confederation Pretty quickly, they wouldn't be allowed to just keep that resource for themselves or sell it, especially something like milk, which would be considered something of utmost importance to distribute because you start not being able to get good amounts of calcium, and then there's this disease called rickets, which you don't want. It makes your bones brittle, and then they, they, they break, and that's not fun. You don't want broken bones, so getting a milk supply everywhere is vital. Not to mention that milk is also just a good food stuff. When you can evaporate it, like your village is able to, <sighs> then it becomes an even more valuable food stuff. You see where I'm going with this? If you've got a valuable resource, you're more you're more able to survive if you exist with that valuable resource elsewhere, because then you can trade for things that you can't produce. Right? Uh, a very crucial thing for your village to trade for is actually jars, because you're using home canning stuff rather than an actual cannery to can your evaporated milk. So You send it out in jars of, you know, like, I don't know, like, uh, I think... I'm not sure what the evaporated milk-to-water ratio was, but essentially a much smaller amount of evaporated milk can be uh, decondensed into, um, you know, just normal milk. Uh, So you, as an individual, work at the cannery, where you jar the evaporated milk. The jars are rarely the same size and are definitely a variable quality. Jars, again, are one of the resources that your town cannot produce on its own and must trade for, mainly with the local Draconic Enclave as they are lucky enough to have both a glassblower and a tinsmith who, in conjunction, can produce jars for you. Of course, you work hard to ensure your village produces enough milk to get the resources it needs for the upcoming winter, but you take your breaks like everybody thinks they are entitled to. As winter approaches, tragedy strikes. An outbreak of Clostridium bacteria quickly overwhelms the medic. In this time of chaos, one nearby town, which had previously been openly antagonistic towards you and the confederation, attempted to muscle you out of five cows and two bulls, hoping to start their own breeding herd. When negotiations went awry, they attacked. While only three were injured in the attack, nearly twenty cows and three bulls were driven away. This caused a massive economic downturn, you know, if they take your ability to breed and, your, and a lot of just your milk cows, you're not going to be able to ship as much milk, you're not going to be able to be able to make new cows to make more milk in the future, and all in all, they just set you back by quite a bit. The chaos faded away to terror as the first winter took hold. Several communities around you had completely fallen apart, as they had not properly secured a food supply, and their citizens fled, often coming to your town on their way to somewhere else. You could not take most of them in, and morale was doubly damaged by the stories of fragile societies collapsing that they brought with them, and the pain of having to turn away someone who needs your help. Whether they survived their hunt for a settlement able to take them in was completely unknown. Most obviously didn't if you're wandering around in the depths of winter you're probably not going to survive very long even if you are able to make a camp you know just look at what happened with the donner party i mean they didn't descend into cannibalism or anything with these people they just you know mostly froze to death but you know when you get snowbound and you can't move anywhere because remember these people aren't going about in cars or anything they're going about in whatever they can pull with a bike most often Some, you know, would be lucky enough to have a, you know, wagon, maybe, if uh, pulled by a horse or an ox, but usually, yeah, no, you're not gonna have anything more than what you can pull with a bike, and bikes don't work in snow, and they can very, very quickly get snowbound. Um, so yeah, if you're traveling on bikes, just, just don't do it in winter. It won't work. (sighs) The Enclave shamed you for being inhospitable and threatened to withdraw their Medic. However, the Medic refused to leave, becoming a Draconic at large. She traded away her citizenship to help your town. Now, I should probably explain what the societal benefit, or rather lack thereof, of being a Draconic at large is. Essentially, Draconic's citizenship is determined by which Enclave they belong to, right? You can live outside the Enclave, but if you don't have Enclave citizenship, you can't participate in the Draconic Court, as in like b- both the nobility and the legal system, because Draconics have their own legal system, and if you, uh, if you are harmed by a human, normally the recourse that you would take is to bring them into Draconic Court, where they would be met much more harshly than they would in a normal human court. However, if you're a Draconic and you get harmed by a human, and you're also Draconic at large, too bad. You are not allowed to participate in the legal system, and you do not have any legal protections from other draconics from that from your previous enclave harming you. Oftentimes, draconics at large are actively hunted down if they've done something bad, and they therefore were exiled and became a draconic at large. But uh, your medic, not so much. She wouldn't be hunted down until later. Now. She became something as a local hero, but she also prompted the complete cut-off of all trade with the Enclave. Their glassblowers and tinsmiths, as I've already said, had been your sole source of new jars. The shock of being without other draconics soon wore on your medic, and she began writing her own teachings. Now, the teachings are Draconic holy books. Um, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna keep explaining. I can explain more about Draconic uh, churches. I'm going to definitely do that on a future episode, because it will be fun to chart. Just the proliferation of different belief systems in the draconic canon because uh, it's as thorny as Christianity uh, or more, with just like all the different things that they take into consideration. Like, some draconic churches don't even believe in any form of divinity. Others believe, yeah, things can be divine, but only if they have Draconic heritage. Others very rarely acknowledge that there could be other divinity besides the First Queen. Others don't even acknowledge that the First Queen is divine. Some believe that the First Queen was part divine and part Draconic. It's a mess. And it would be really cool to sort out. And I would like to do that on this podcast at some point, if you guys would be up for that. I'll probably put out a poll about that on the uh, Instagram channel here. Now, Again, she began writing her own teachers. teachings, not teachers. I don't think you can write into existence a teacher. Now, when she subsequently finished in midwinter, she began preaching them. Your town had mostly lacked religion before that, owing to the sheer lack of any institution to perpetuate it. Certainly, most still considered themselves some form of Protestant, and many did look to the Bible for guidance, but the lack of any real services being held had led many to... More or less, give up their generally weak faith. The reformed Brown teachings, which were the teachings that she wrote, were a commentary upon the original Brown teachings, which were in turn based upon the commentary of the Red, Silver, and Gray teachings. Uh, the message of that commentary, but applied to a different text, which, by the way, was deemed not to be canon by the Council of Ruthenia in the 1200s, and therefore makes the entire pre-existing Brown Church heretics in the eyes of rest of, in the rest of the Draconic Church. Um, And the name of the original text that it's based off of is An Account of the Times of the First Dragon Queen. Now, there's extreme amounts of debate as to whether or not the account of the times of the First Dragon Queen is even actually from the time period it would have to be from in order for it to, you know, actually be based off of original sources, because obviously the very original sources that uh, The the Life and Times of the First Dragon Queen would have to be based on were lost in the Bronze Age collapse, so, yeah, if it didn't, if it wasn't written before then, then, straight up, it can't be canon, because it's not even based on the actual texts that would have been written by people in the court of the first Dragon Queen, Uh, and so, also, I get I get to talk about canon and like the, the draconic canon and everything on this episode. I'm so stoked to do this episode. If you can't tell, now what these new teachings stressed were hope, pacifism, and personal industry. That personal industry part is not something that's generally part of draconic canon. Uh, it's it it is definitely mentioned in what in a lot of what the first queen has said or perhaps purported to say, but. It's not necessarily like a core thing that, ah, yes, you must have a hard work ethic, you know, you you must work hard every day. That is not necessarily something that's in draconic stuff because, well, number one, if you're a draconic, you kind of live forever. So there's no real time scale of how quickly you should accomplish things. like seriously, if you if you live forever, accomplishing something, you can take as long as you want to to accomplish it unless, you know, it's a limited time thing. You know, if, if it's like, if it's like, I need to go into work today, obviously you don't have an infinite amount of time to go into work, but other stuff, like bigger life goals, like I want to marry someone and have three children, well, a draconic lives forever unless something kills them. Which, I, I, I mean, everything lives forever unless something kills it, but like, I mean, old age, like, unless it's disease- or somebody coming in and killing them, or their their body systems don't generally ever fail, so they don't end up in like organ failure unless they get like cancer or something, or some other form of degenerative disease. All in all, draconics, they just haven't a near infinite amount of time to accomplish things, so they don't tend to worry about, you know, uh, having a really hard work ethic, because they can get by, you know, only working a couple of hours every day, you know, unless they're in an enclave, because if they're in an enclave, then obviously they're, they have to produce enough food and everything, which usually can't be done if you're only working a couple hours a day. But anyways, that whole long tangent, uh, I should probably just sum up why this is really important for the Reformed Brown teachings. The Reformed Brown teachings, in the eyes of the Brown church, were incredibly radical. They were definitely heretical, because the Reformed Brown teachings, uh, number one, Acknowledged that there could be other divine beings, without saying that those other divine beings had to have some sort of draconic provenance to them, and two, it also did not acknowledge the divinity of the first, the divinity of the first queen, which is a big no-no in the Brown Church. The Brown Church uh, definitely believes that the first queen is divine, and therefore her words are divine. And this leads into why Alia, the medic who, you know, eventually wrote these teachings, was so notable. She did not consider herself a prophet scholar, but only a scholar. Now, of course, basically in the Brown Draconic Church, since since the first queen was divine, her words are divine, and therefore only someone who is influenced by that divinity can reinterpret her words. And therefore, if you are doing any sort of scholarship... on on the uh, Brown teachings, you must also claim that you are divine yourself, or are being influenced by divinity in some way, hence prophet scholar rather than just scholar. Now, she just considered herself a scholar because she she didn't think that she was really changing the Brown teachings in any way, she just thought, uh, you know, I'm taking these teachings and I'm reinterpreting them for a human audience and a new world. The teachings, again, were also notable for presenting themselves as not the only holy text that is real, but a text that can be used to either be followed in its own right as a religious philosophy or philosophy or religion, but also something that could just be used to supplement other religious texts. In Alia's eyes, it was fine to claim that you were both a member of the Reformed Brown Church and a Catholic or a Protestant or a Muslim or, hell, even a Shintoist. She she really doesn't care. It's really more about the philosophy aspect of things for her than it is about the. Uh, this is the one true religion, which is something that's actually really really present in the Brown Church, in the Brown Draconic Church. Um, they believe like this is the only true religion. Ours is the only way to interpret. Uh, ours is definitely the only way to interpret the uh, teachings. Any of the any of the scholarship on the writings about the first queen has to come through our lens and the brown draconics are one of the big reasons why there will probably never, ever be a reunified dragon church. They've fought holy wars with other draconics uh, up through, you know, up into the 1800s they were fighting these holy wars and just wreaking havoc across uh, across Scandinavia. Scandinavia is actually where they hail from. That's their cultural hearth um, because it is where... Uh, red draconics and black uh, draconics, mixed, uh, brown draconics are a hybrid color, so if a red draconic has sex with a black draconic and they produce offspring, you get a brown draconic, and then if brown draconics mate together, you get a brown draconic, and if they mate with something else, it it all depends upon blood quantums and stuff, what color they'll be, brown draconics aren't even also necessarily always brown, they can range from nearly red to nearly black, But most are somewhere in between. Now, in the summer of 2AR, Alia constructed a complex printing press to replicate her teachings with. A few hundred copies went to her local flock, with the rest, about a hundred, being sent to a group to attempt to spread said teachings across Europe. The first trip went to, I want to say, Payswalk, but it's German, so maybe it's like Volk. I have no idea how to pronounce German, so we're going to call it Volk, right? Where they then recruited several draconics of various colors to be traveling preachers. By the end of summer, about 10,000 were part of the Reformed Brown Church, which is just massive growth for a single religion, especially even in Europe. News of a new Draken church spreading among humans had the local enclave worried and heresy examiners were soon hounding after Alia. Now, a heresy examiner is basically somebody who goes out and finds people claiming to be prophets or scholars or prophet scholars, and they're like, hey, we're gonna, like, sit down, we're gonna interrogate you, we're gonna see what all of your beliefs are, we're gonna see what you put in your teachings, we're gonna see all that, and then, if we determine that to be heretical... We're just gonna frickin' cut your head off right here. like we're, n- we're not gonna give you any sort of trial. If we determine this to be heretical, you're being summarily executed where you stand. And so not wanting to be summarily executed as she would obviously be because um, her teachings to the brown Draconics are so incredibly heretical that when brown draconics tend to that when brown draconics who were previously part of onocclaves and not part of the Reformed Brown Church come across them, It's not uncommon for them to have a nice little book bonfire. So she fled with a group of her missionaries, and after they came, but a chapel was constructed in her honor, which would be the first uh, brown draconic church, uh, well, reformed brown draconic church. I keep saying brown draconic church. There are brown draconic churches before, obviously and i just i just use church and just like i use church chapel cathedral i use them as like just indicators of size and how big the building is obviously different levels of a building have different names in draconic but i haven't mapped out the entire draconic language yet so you will hear me refer to basically all of the religious stuff in draconic just by an english equivalent So, the heresy examiners hounded her for a few months before the high prophet scholar of the Brown Draconic Church, not reformed, got wind of the hunt, and was like, Okay, guys, you remember how the Council of Rome went, right? The last time we tried heretics, that that whole thing, during Vatican II, yeah, you remember how that went? Yeah, it wasn't a good time. We got basically just freaking disowned by the rest of Draconic society. So let's not do Council of Rome part 2. Let's just let her go and like yeah, they're they're all definitely heretics, but it's not good PR to be hunting heretics in freaking 2022. So 3AR brought with it the beginnings of reunification for Germany, as various groups around Berlin began claiming to be the official the official successors of the German government. Most in your village really didn't care, most didn't believe nation states would ever truly rebuild, and that the modern world they knew was gone. Most thought that their lives now revolved around producing milk and gradually rebuilding. When Alia's group finally made it back to your town, her quarters at the chapel were hastily prepared. She brought with her a dozen or so fellow Draconics at large who were to be her new apostles and her replacements at, you know, the hospital that she had built. They quickly built a... Well, they actually didn't build a hospital yet because they built a little hospital in apothecaries next to the chapel because they figured, you know... Hey, we're mostly relying on herbal medicine now, given that nobody's mass producing pharmaceuticals. So we'll, you know, we'll build a little pharmacy type thing and a little hospital, and you know, we'll just try to improve public health in the area, which is you know, that's a really admirable goal. Uh, the hospital was very small; it only had it only had uh, I want to say it was it was about twenty beds, so twelve people for twenty beds. That's a pretty good quality of care. It had the ability to you know, had rooms for like checkups and whatnot exam exam rooms that's what they're called that's what they're called in the hospital boy uh, they could not do trauma care as they did not really have any real knowledge of surgery Draconics do know a lot about surgery but it's all surgery on the draconic body not the human body and there are various differences in their internal structure you know there's there's just things that are in the draconic body that are in the human body there's things in the human body that are in the draconic body and all in all, just there's a lot of differences if you're performing surgery on the internal bits of a draconic body than there are to performing surgery on the internal bits of a human body, because just, like, draconics have, have a lot of things that humans don't have, like, seriously, humans don't have wings, for example, they don't have that to be damaged, there's various slight differences that make surgery on draconic hard you know if you were if you know enough about draconic internal bits it's not that hard to figure out where the equivalent uh, organs are in a human because they don't have like different organs they're just differently shaped and the vascular supply systems are very different the lymphatic systems are very different uh, just because different shapes mean that you have to reroute uh, your your blood vessels and your lymph system and so everything is just routed differently and so uh, especially if you need to do any sort of microsurgery if you're reattaching different bits uh, it doesn't go well if you're only skilled in reattaching different bits in a draconic body so many asked them what their thoughts were on the news from Berlin and she said you know nobody really can claim to be the successor state to Germany but it's probably for the best that somebody is trying to get a national government going again. She then showed you all how to make foxhole radios and set up a transmitter to broadcast mass from. The original transmitter was incredibly weak, only just powerful enough to reach most of your village. But by fall, a more powerful solar-powered transmitter had been made, and sermons were being broadcast across mecklenburg vorpommern I, I think that's how you pronounce it. Maybe it's Forpamen because it's Forpamen? For, for Palmer yeah for Palmer because it's german uh a very small area it's like in northern Germany it's a state uh in other in other in other areas other preachers had done the same. These stations were extremely important being used to broadcast messages of hope and live music for twenty three hours of the day with only the noon hour reserved for sermons they helped keep morale up. The widespread distribution of foxhole radios also alerted the populace to the formation of the Congress of Paris when an incredibly powerful AM radio signal started coming into Germany from the BBC. With the construction of a... Hang on. Ah, yes, I have skipped a page. With the formation of the Congress of Paris, the European wars began. Your village joined Germany peaceably, but when the army tried to conscript your people, They were met with harsh resistance, because, like, you don't just walk into a village and be like, you, 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 you're in the army now, get ready. Like, you don't do that. (laughs) That's not gonna fly. So tempers began to flare, understandably, and fear of reprisals once again led your people to turn to Alia, who just shrugged and told the army to F off. They did finally do that, after taking a couple of your bicycle carts at gunpoint, which again, you need those to distribute the evaporated milk, which is like the big thing that your village produces, and if you don't produce that, then you'll fall into economic destitution. One idiot in the militia did shoot at the army as they left, and the return volley left him full of so many holes, he was initially mistaken for a pile of tattered cloth on the ground. Luckily for you, there were no further reprisals. Alia put out a writ denouncing the ass who shot at the army and the army itself. The Brown Radio Network was then briefly charged with sedition before intercession by Alia got the charges dropped after explaining that the religion was very devoted to pacifism and that, like, no, shooting at people was not going to fly in the religion, and the army shouldn't have shot back either because it's like it was this one idiot who was taking pot shots at you with a rusty bolt action rifle. At you know pretty extreme ranges because you know you don't just shoot back at the army right as they're leaving because you're going to get shot without any chance of hitting them so all in all the guy wasn't really all that much of a threat to the army and so they just explained like yeah this was kind of dumb this whole thing's just a big mistake And in the town, things mostly kept on like usual. Foxhole radios started to be made en masse and sent to various places to continue spreading the church. More presses were made, and they spread not only church writings, but news across Germany as a daily paper was brought into existence, further invigorating the local economy. This was the beginning of the second printing revolution, uh, which was, again, very, very important, because printing ensures that people have a reason to be literate because if you know only the most rich people can afford books as Was the case for a while because a lot of books Didn't make it through the first winter because a lot of people ended up burning them for fuel because cities are Quite notably devoid of a lot of trees. So in cities a lot of books got burned because a library is a great place full of a lot of great things to read when the world's okay and when it's not full of a lot of good fuel. Sad, yes? Now, of course, in the town, uh, you know, you're you're making these radios and invigorates the local economy, right? You're bringing a press into existence, you're bringing a paper into existence, like what? Like Local economy, because now all of a sudden people are buying uh, a paper with news that they already knew about Because the thing about these papers is they get in the news out a day late, and when you're in your village itself where the paper comes, people still pay for the paper. Because it's like, oh yeah, it's paper, it's cool, it's cool to get a newspaper again. We didn't have a newspaper before, but now we have a newspaper, how cool is that? And then it's like, but also, this is a town of like 50 people, and... Everybody kind of knows everything that's going on in the town, so why are you paying to get news that you already know? Right? Like like just imagine if you literally knew everything that happened on your town ta- in your town on a daily basis and then somebody starts trying to sell you the information that you already know and then people still end up buying it. It's it's just so dumb that people bought it. But hey, It puts more money into the local economy because people aren't saving up their money all the time because they're spending it on a dumb paper. A church newsletter was founded to distribute news when the radios were down, which was not infrequent, and cost £2 per issue, helping to fund the construction of sanitation equipment and hospitals in the newly reunified countries of Belarus and Poland. While the religion itself saw a little spread in Eastern Europe, the people there were happy to receive free infrastructure. The North German news radio transmitter was also constructed in your town late that year. Even though it was a more powerful transmitter, it still could not cover all of Germany. They were respectful of the Brown network, with their broadcast limited to the 1300 and 1800 hours. They did broadcast on a different frequency, so why this was an issue was unclear, but they still didn't want to compete with Alias Sermons. (sighs) With the construction of a tiny hydroelectric dam on the river, power was supplied to a few buildings. One of the ones constructed was a print shop capable of sending out 6,000 pages a day. Can you believe that? 6,000 pages a day. North German News very quickly bought it, and then they used it to put out a weekly single-page paper covering the biggest stories of the last week, and that was distributed across Germany, massively expanding NGN's reach, because, like, yeah, all of a sudden... You can find out the biggest news going on in North Germany, which is like the coolest part of Germany right now because it's the reunifying part. So all of the really cool stuff that's going on in Germany is happening in North Germany. So if you're in South Germany, you're going to be buying this paper coming out of North Germany because it's like, oh, wow, maybe there is hope out there. Maybe we can reunify and like hope. Cells obviously not as good as fear cells, but in this situation, people are naive and not really going to sell with fear. Okay, what are we talking about now, just massively expanding NGN's reach, the government then was like, Whoa, this is a really big news agency we could and they're doing they're doing radio stuff, and a bunch of people have these special have these radios which don't actually require a power source what what is, well, this is an amazing opportunity. Now we can have North German news. We'll, we'll give them a transmitter in Southern Germany. And thus they changed their name to just German news. Foxhole radio soon became ubiquitous in the South as well, because literally they're, they're so easy to make. I'm actually making one right now. It's it's fun. It's literally just basically wire and then a diode, which and diodes aren't uncommon. You can use any diode. You could actually probably even use a light emitting diode, to be honest. Would it work as well? Heck no, but would it still rectify Signal? Yes. Okay, what are we talking about? Well, with the concentration of media in the town, more and more outlets flocked to it. Soon, the first official publishing house opened up, Destryer Publishing. Their flagship title was essentially Reader's Digest condensed book series, plus original short stories, published quarterly as a hardcover. Called Books for Less, it cornered the budget market before any others really existed, because, again, they were the first... They were the first publisher in Germany who was, like, big at all. So, nobody's making any other books. Like, they could have just published these books uncondensed in single volumes. I mean, it it would be longer to print them. Because, again, you can only print so many pages in a day without, you know, working your workers to the bone. And even if you do work your workers to the bone, there's still a ceiling to how many pages you can print in a day. And, therefore, how big your print runs can be. So... They cornered the budget market, that's good. They also soon published a quarterly journal called Projects for Rebuilding, with instructions on how to set up infrastructure for your local area. It was quite late to the game in Western Europe. Excuse me. But translated into various other languages, it would see tons of success in other countries. Uh, Especially in Siberia. Siberia uh, was very, very disunified, and when they got into Siberia, they got it into, you know, a big collective state. And... Then they were like, oh, crap, we don't have any infrastructure now. Like, we do not have sanitation, we do not have hospitals. And then, all of a sudden, Projects for Rebuilding gets translated into Russian, and then they're like, oh, oh, ah, wow, now we know how to do all of these things, which we probably could have found out if we just looked in a book, but there's not, like, a bunch of libraries around here, so we don't have a lot of books. A solar farm constructed in 6AR would see far more power supplied, as would its accompanying wind farm. With the additional power came, once again, more publishers, including one that reprinted, reprinted textbooks, which is an incredibly crucial step in rebuilding, because once you start reprinting the textbooks, you can actually have schools going again, because now you've got the ability to teach people, and then those people can teach other people, and yeah, you eventually do have to figure out pedagogy and everything, but... But uh, you have the possibility of doing a school, so that's really important. Of course, this the Fledgling IC not had a shot at education. Speaking of education, Alia opened up a seminary in nearby Posavolk, bringing thousands of draken scholars to the area. While she could barely keep up with all of the people who wanted to join her church, because like over a thousand people is a lot bigger than the seminary could even actually fit, the new scholars were quickly, you know, basically trained on the basics and like, hey. Here's your copy. Read it. You're you're already a scholar of Draconic religion. You just just read this text I made I made it exceedingly clear because it's like, you know, I put this in English. I had to translate our freaking our religion which uses words that, you know, humans because there's concepts in the, in our religion that humans have no context for and therefore are exceedingly even hard to translate into English. I translated this into English like in Draconic's view, human languages as very, very much like dumbed down versions of Draconic because it's like, are you are you kidding me, humans? You you do don't have three hundred and fifty different words for like how uh, for goodness in various different ways. You don't have literally over nine hundred words for different wind conditions. What are you even doing, humans? Do you even create neologisms on a daily basis? No? Okay. So, th- that's my impression of a draconic being mad at human language for some reason. <laughs> this this podcast makes me do such idiotic things. Now, just again, like the, the, the whole idea was like, I had to put a draconic religion into English, which is like normally basically impossible, because... Again, concepts, which draconics have in their culture, and humans just do not, therefore there is no human word, that could mean that. Ooh, boy. Now, we're going to skip forward a little wise. During the Canadian-American War, you joined up, mostly to get the army off your town's back. You ended up in the first armored cavalry as a driver, owing to the fact that you'd gotten a bit of experience driving before everything went down. The Model 5 armored car which you were assigned to was absolutely atrocious. It handled more or less like a drunk cow who was also on cocaine and, well, painkillers. Essentially, it handles like a dead cow. But not even just a dead cow—one that's uh, completely rotten away and all of its ligaments are gone. So it's not so much a cow as it is an agglomerated pile of bones in the shape of a cow. But it's probably also been pulverized to a certain extent by being washed down a river. It, it handles like it—it it, it, it handles like a pile of smashed-up bones, we'll say. The ventilation was so poor that just three shots from gun mortar could have you confused as to whether or not you'd just been hit and your thing was on fire. The, the the tires were also just very easy to pop. I don't know if you know this, but, like, tires do not hold up well against a bullet unless you do some serious shit to reinforce them. The International Commonwealth did not do said serious reinforcing. Yeah. You only saw one battle, and you were lucky, and it did change you a bit, but then again, seeing people blasted to pieces through a driver's slit with a gun mortar tends to change you. After the war, you spent some time in Canada, wandering around and seeing the sights for a couple of months to just contextualize everything that happened to you since you were 16, because you were like, yeah, the world's gone to shit, and then now it's not completely gone to shit, but it's still pretty shitty, and what is my life? Like, what, are, what am I even doing here? I I outlived a literal apocalypse that killed the majority of the human population. And and just, you know, just kind of thinking about all these things, which are, you know, good things to think about in this sort of situation. And so more and more publishers continued flocking to your little town and soon even got a TV station, which is, like, huge in the early days in the International Commonwealth. The locals... You included found it strange how your town, which used to be, like, 50 people, had ballooned. Initially, most worked on the dairy farm, but now it was almost evenly, I say evenly split between farmers and printmen, binders, and hosts. But, like, no. No. There, there were, like, 50 people working on this dairy farm. Most, the vast majority of people now have nothing to do with the dairy supply chain. Alia still resided at the chapel, but plans were in the works to build her an actual cathedral. She oversaw the hospital still, but she was also trying to be the high scholar of a major religion that had converted about 10% of the International Commonwealth. Yeah, in in the course of just five years, 10% of the International Commonwealth was now following this non-human religion. Like, humans were just like... Yeah, yeah, these religious tends to make sense to me, and, like, yeah, because it's just, like, the, if the, a lot of religion has to, and a lot of the reason why people follow religion has to do with the institutions, right? And when you take away the institutions, people's faith tends to be quite a bit shaken, because for some people, they can't separate their belief in deity with their belief in the institution of a church, And as much as a church may want to tell you that your belief in the deity is ahead of the belief in the church, that's just not true for a lot of people. As your town continued to grow, the fragile, intensely connected community that once kept it running faded. People used to know everyone else, but in a town that had now reached nearly 50,000, it just wasn't possible. It didn't feel like it did seven years ago. There was growing disillusionment among the tiny minority of farmers with the state of things. The canners, too. The herd was still owned in common, and a forum was held to see what the heck we should do with it. It was decided to go north, a ways, and build a true dairy farm there, possibly even bring in someone who knew how to make cheese. When they left, you didn't go with. You bought a motorized bike and headed for Stetson? Station. I think it's like Stettin It's Polish. It's... I don't know how to pronounce Polish or German. Why did I set this in Germany? Help me. Stechin. Stechin, We're going to say Stechin. We're just going to say Stechkin, because I know how to pronounce Stechkin. You are eligible for free college as part of your veterancy benefits, which everyone in the International Commonwealth who serves in the International Commonwealth military is, which essentially means that most people are eligible for free college if there's a war on. Anyways, uh, you... After you got through the nightmare headache of learning enough Polish to actually understand your classes, you studied as an electrician at a trade school. More and more cities were getting reliable power every day, so electricians were like the number one job. You became an apprentice just as Stetchkin, however you pronounce that, was beginning to get its grid up and running again. You helped electrify many buildings over the next few years before returning to Farnwalde, the uh, place where you lived. I, I, didn't, I didn't name drop the village until now, but I, I did now, so it was far involved the whole time, and doing various jobs around there. Life still felt strange, but with little chance things could ever really feel normal, you just kind of kept at it. You eventually did find friends to replace the family you lost all those years ago, and life finally felt okay. And now, it is the time of the episode where I do a heckin' plugging the pluggables time. It's pluggable as a clock. Yeah. All right, let's plug them. So, if you want to get in touch with me, Kato Friday, you can do that at katofriday at gmail.com. Uh, no spaces, no period, no hyphen. Just katofriday at gmail.com. If you want to share the podcast, well, you could be a amazing person and share our podcast via the Instagram page, which is at kato underscore Friday underscore productions. It's probably the most active way to get in touch with me, Kato Friday, and it's the hub for any podcasts I'm on, whether it be this podcast or any others I might do in the future. So, if you like me as a content creator, and can I call myself that? I'm yeah, I'm I am a content creator. I produce content. This is content. Uh, I. I apologize now. My, I, there's a dog that's been barking the whole time. I'm at my grandparents, and their dog and their dogs bark no matter what. So, th- yeah, th- you are not hallucinating. Those are dog barks. If you hear those, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, Kato dot Kato underscore Friday underscore Productions. That is our uh, Instagram tag, Instagram name. I think it's a name, not a tag. Or you could be an absolute big brain boy and go and share our show link, which uh, is is uh, anchor.fm backslash in hyphen which. And what that will do is it will take people to a home page. Uh, it will give them a little bit of facts about our podcast. And then it will show them a, t- a very nice tableau of various links where they can find the podcast on just many different platforms. You know, if they want to find it on iTunes, if they want to find it on Stitcher, If they the iTunes and Stitcher links aren't on there, but my, rest assured, my show is now on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, po- uh, Spotify, any various podcasting platforms, wherever fine podcasts are bought, sold, and or bartered for, you can find our podcast there, and that will just show them all the links so that they can go to their favorite a podcast or if they want to be an even bigger brain boy they can go and be like they grab the rss feed and then use the rss feed in a custom built rss downloader and just download our content through the rss feed but that would require more knowledge of coding anyways just please give us give the show a shout out on your social media or share the show link because that like i always say If we want to get new listeners, right? If you want to have more people hear about this, if you think that this is good writing and you think other people should read it, then first off, we're going to need to get into our audience's eyes before we get into the ears. Because if they never see our podcast, they will never, ever hear the podcast. And I am, in that regard, very reliant upon you. And so I will conclude this episode by saying what I always do. Please share the name podcast and thank you all for listening.